I want to hear you guys tag team it. Let's have some fun with this. Okay. My name is Brandon Cornuk. I'm Michael Goldberg. And I am from Magnet. I'm from Case Western Reserve University. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Manufacturing, Manufacturing Happy Hour. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? Welcome back to this week's episode where we're going to be heading to Cleveland, Ohio. Today's show is all about manufacturing in transitioning economies. What does that mean? Well, think of a transitioning economy as a, you know, a classic Rust Belt city like Cleveland that used to have a robust manufacturing scene, but is now looking to reestablish itself as a thriving economic hub in other ways. As we've seen tech jobs move out to the coasts, some of these cities have appeared to be shells of themselves. But as manufacturing and technology continue to intersect, we're seeing that change in cities like Cleveland, Ohio. But not only cities like that in Detroit or Buffalo that used to be manufacturing powerhouses, but cities and countries like that that are developing for the first time, say like Vietnam or Indonesia. To tackle these topics, we have two excellent guests for the show today that are experts in this area. First, we've got Brandon Cornuke, who's the Vice President of Startup Consulting at Magnet. I'm going to get a little bit more into those guys in just a second. And we also have Michael Goldberg, who is the Professor of Design and Innovation at Case Western's Weatherhead School of Management. But you might also know him from the mega-successful Coursera course that he has hosted for many years called Beyond Silicon Valley, Growing Entrepreneurship in Transitioning Economies. Now, how did I get these gentlemen on the show? There's actually a little bit of an interesting story there. I took Michael's course on Coursera. It's probably been like seven years since I dove into it. And I was starting the show. I remembered a lot of his talks around entrepreneurship and a lot of his lessons applied to the makerspace. So a couple emails later, Michael had set me up with himself as well as Brandon. He highly recommended I have him on the show based on his focus around manufacturing and we were prepared to meet up on one of my trips to Cleveland, Ohio at this magnet place I was telling you about. Now what is magnet? It is an acronym for the Manufacturing Advocacy and Growth Network, which is really a cool program and also a cool facility in Cleveland that's helping manufacturers in so many different ways. Brandon's going to get into the details on this thing in just a second, but before that, here are three things you can expect from today's show. First, continuing from what we were saying about Magnet, we discussed the resources and ecosystem that are needed to help manufacturers thrive in transitioning economies around the world. This can be anything from like workforce development to the support from both the public and private sector that's needed to really help companies get off the ground in some of these areas. Michael and Brandon both share their stories of how they went through their careers in tech and manufacturing and retail and other cool journeys that ultimately led them to helping manufacturing in transitioning economies to be a big part of their mission. Second, we get to hear a bunch of success stories from both Northeast Ohio and abroad. Brandon and Michael have seen their fair share of companies thriving from the work that they've been doing. Anything from cool commercial goods to industrial applications, we get to hear how people have taken the lessons that they've taught and have applied them to start companies of their own. 
Finally, we talk about the role of education in manufacturing and how it's changing to address the current needs in the market. A big theme throughout today's episode is how the future of manufacturing will be technology-driven, and I think you're going to hear that when we talk about the type of education programs that are starting to pop up and continue to make it relevant in preparing people for this field. If you like what you're hearing on today's show, I do have a call to action for you that I want to give you in advance of the interview. Since you're listening to the show on some platform, if that platform happens to be iTunes, if you're enjoying the content, please make sure to leave us a rating and a review. The second part is most important. A review can be as short as one sentence being like, hey, love the show. It's providing valuable content for my job in the manufacturing industry. That's just an example, but make sure you leave that with a five-star review if you think the show is great. It really helps get the show on the map, and it also provides some feedback to us that allows us to keep making the show better. You can find that at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to access the show on Apple Podcasts. Now, let's get rolling. We're going to head to Cleveland, Ohio to meet up with Brandon Cornuke and Michael Goldberg to talk manufacturing in transitioning economies. Gentlemen, welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Great to be here. Welcome to Cleveland. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, well, I used to come here a lot more often. We, as, as I mentioned, the company I work for has like a sub headquarters out here, kind of our architecture center events excellence. But being a St. Louis and it's always nice to come back to kind of just a classic Midwestern city in my in my estimation. Well, the week before, I don't know when this is going to air, but the week before the NFL season starts, oh, yes. for the first time in a long time, the Browns <laughs> may be good. They look good. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of optimism in the city. I always end up with like a token Cleveland friend wherever I live. And the one thing people from Cleveland all have in common is that they're all extremely vocal and proud of being from here, even when they move away. And yes, the Browns do look very good on paper, although that has happened in the past. (laughs) Yes, yes, that is true. I have more faith this year, though. So I look forward to seeing how that's playing out when this episode does air, when we're probably a little ways into the season. Sounds good. Um, But since we are here in Cleveland, Ohio, as you mentioned, and since this is Manufacturing Happy Hour, I want to start off with a question that maybe you guys have gotten before. Let's say we're hanging out in the Ohio City neighborhood having a beer at uh, Great Lakes Brewing Company, and someone comes up to you and it's like, you know what, you know, manufacturing used to be big, especially here in Cleveland, but you know what, that's part of the past, it's just not coming back. How do you respond to that? You know, I see the sentiment for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, We hear the, it's dark, it's dangerous, it's Mm -hmm. dirty, it's from the past a lot. And what we love to say is that the future of manufacturing is technology driven. Um, It is going to be what we believe lifts a lot of economies, the Midwest economies that you you mentioned. Mm into the future uh, as you create durable products that you export, that ends up being what economies are built on. One in four jobs in Northeast Ohio is either directly attributable or as a function of supporting manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, So it's really hard to get away from the fact that building stuff and exporting it has got to continue to be the future of our economy. For sure. Michael, how how do you respond to that one? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, clearly, Um, communities like Cleveland, St. Louis, others in the Midwest have suffered significant population loss as as manufacturing has transitioned, right? So some of it has been companies um, moving manufacturing facilities to the South or overseas. 
Um, but a lot of it has been the way that manufacturer has transitioned to do more because of technological innovation to do mm -hmm. more with less less workforce. Yeah. Um, that's an opportunity, I think, as Brandon alludes to, to mm -hmm. kind of the future of manufacturing, technologically based, technologically driven, different kind of skills, um, different kind of entrepreneurship opportunities. It poses challenges to workforce that mm -hmm. wasn't that was working in the past manufacturing so clearly we are are suffering in many ways because mm -hmm. we've had um, a difficult economic transition of our workforce but manufacturing still is strong and there's a lot of opportunities for entrepreneurs and communities like ours to kind of look not past manufacturing but look at manufacturing to drive economic development right and we were just talking before um, mm -hmm. we started about how workforce is actually a huge need in this yes. area. So mm -hmm. we're actually at a really exciting cusp where we need more workers to mm -hmm. fill what has be what technology has created in terms of opportunity. So it's actually gotten to the point where we train enough people, if we can mm -hmm. train enough people, we'll fill thousands of great paying jobs and create products and export them using yeah. technology as a foundation rather than a substitute. Well, I love I love how like manufacturing and technology are becoming more synonymous at this point. You know, I think especially over the past couple decades, people would associate tech specifically with like software. But now we're seeing like the physical good side come back in. And I definitely want to talk more about workforces as we get into this interview, because as you mentioned, it's one of the most critical topics we're seeing in manufacturing right now. But before we go too far, I want to make sure I give you gentlemen a proper introduction to our audience. So for those of you listening, the two folks we have here today one of them has had a dynamic career in manufacturing. He founded a first-of-its-kind product company and now helps innovators turn their own manufactured ideas into growing businesses as the vice president of startup services at Magnet. The other is a professor at Case Western University. Actually, they both are. But this individual has reached individuals in 190 countries through his very successful massive open online course, Beyond Silicon Valley, Growing Entrepreneurship in Transitioning Economies. Ladies and gentlemen, and manufacturing all-stars everywhere, it is my pleasure to introduce the maestro of manufacturing here in the Midwest, Brandon Cornick, and one of the original kings of Coursera, <laughs> Michael Goldberg. Welcome. Awesome. Thank wow, you. what an intro. That's what an intro. I have a flair for the dramatic. I nice. try to keep it keep it interesting. Very exciting. Maestro was a synonym for master. I figured master would get overused very I'm gonna, I'm gonna update <laughs> my LinkedIn profile. I was hoping you were like actually talking about us when you know maybe there weren't two <laughs> other like, two other guests that were coming in. <laughs> well you guys you guys are both very esteemed in the manufacturing space and the entrepreneurship space in general. And just so folks know where to connect with you. Michael, you have a book associated with your course, and that's at beyondsiliconvalleybook.com, correct? And it's for free download for all listeners of the uh, Manufacturing Happy Hour. Actually, it's free to everybody, but Perfect. especially, especially, especially for those listeners listening. of this podcast. So, um, yeah, it's a free PDF download. Love that. Highly recommend the course as well. It's been maybe four years since I took it, but that was that was a fun way to really ultimately start getting connect with you, connected with you. And uh, best way to connect with you both, LinkedIn preferred. Absolutely. Sure, absolutely. All right, I will have links to those in the show notes, but we've got plenty to talk about today. So one thing we should probably go over first is we're here at Magnet, and Brandon, you and I were talking before the interview. There's essentially three things Magnet does. We should probably go over what the acronym stands for as well, too. You got it. So the acronym has really sort of come from a long history of helping manufacturers in the area. Mm -hmm. um, it's manufacturing 
it's manufacturing advocacy and growth network. Okay, mm -hmm. sorry, and it and I struggle with it only because we really don't um, do a lot of the advocacy anymore. It's really okay. become something um, of a of what I would call a, um, a support structure for manufacturers in Northeast Ohio. Is the advocacy kind of a default now in the area? Is that what I'm hearing? That's that's a good change, right? Yeah, I think it's so. I mean, the the three parts of Magnet, as we were mentioning earlier, to, to help you understand what we do is is. One, we help establish manufacturers grow and thrive. Mm -hmm. uh, we do that through engineering services, consulting support, um, the sorts of things that large companies have access to, but smaller or medium-sized manufacturers might not be able to afford. So we exist mm -hmm. to help bridge that gap and keep Northeast Ohio's economy, uh, mm -hmm. manufacturing-driven economy, competitive. Right. The second piece is a workforce support structure that we call early college, early career, mm -hmm. um, we call it ECEC. It's essentially a European-style apprenticeship model that helps yeah. students in the area get access to manufacturing jobs early in their mm -hmm. career process, mm -hmm. even in the middle of to the end of high school, yeah. and then leap into manufacturing almost immediately into great high-paying jobs right away, or transition I love that. that. Yeah, it's great. They can yeah. even transition that um, effort into college credit or cool. do both at the same time. Great. Uh, really proud of that program. Mm -hmm. uh, and the third piece, which I run, is what we call our iterator. We mm -hmm. help physical product manufacturers turn, or physical product innovators turn manufactured product ideas into companies. Yeah, and I think when you and I were talking before the interview, I loosely compared it to an accelerator type program, but it's really you meet the company where they are mm -hmm. at that given time. It's not like this is the class, you know, this is the spring class of 2019. Okay. Here's your 90 day boot camp. You're really working with companies wherever they are to help them get exactly. to that. Next some level. of our clients have come out of accelerators. Some of them are in existing incubators. Some of them are working on their own. Uh, mm -hmm. We've found that the entrepreneur entrepreneurial journey in mm -hmm. physical product development is complicated and we want to be there to support our clients wherever they are and mm -hmm. help them iterate through what we call their critical assumptions or their most important guesses to sure. get them traction. Well, let's let's paint a little picture around this too. So we've got the background on what Magnet does, um, but give me a recent success story that you've seen where this has played out so people can have a true picture of how this works in practice. Yeah, absolutely. So let me start with the growth consulting services first, okay. the larger um, side of, of uh, our organization. Um, mm -hmm. There's a company in Youngstown called Center Street Technologies. Um, they wanted to develop a big 3D printer. They saw a mm -hmm. demand in the market for large-scale, quickly developed um, 3D printed items, products, or, uh, or concepts, and approached Magnet to help engineer that, build it, find subcontractors to support it, concept it, um, and actually put it into into uh, working production, and that's what we've done. So you can go down to Center Street Technologies and see the largest 3D printer in the world, um, and bring 40 of your closest friends and all stand in there together. Um, it's been a pretty exciting uh, project for, for Magnet's overall sort of growth services operation. Um, I can tell you a story about um, our startups here in the area. So we have mm -hmm. one um, that we were just playing with. It, it's Battle Toss. It's, it's, a, it's a gentleman who brought us a game concept and mm -hmm. said, hey, I want to okay. build 10,000 of these things right away, and they've yeah. all got to be plastic. And we said, whoa, 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 tell me about your demand. Let me yeah. understand how your sales. This is like that beer pong thing. That's we were exactly talking right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's basically, to, to give you an idea, it's, a, it's a, like a backyard game. It's a connection yeah. between beer pong and Connect Four. So you throw yep. these little beer or these ping pongs in there, and, and you play a game against a, a, mm -hmm. um, a counterpart. This gentleman wanted to build a ton of them. We see this story all the time. They come mm -hmm. to us with a 
bunch of confidence and demand and they just need supply of it yeah. to, to make sure they fit. Right. We ask demand questions and help mm -hmm. them back up and say, do you have evidence that there's demand? Can we get minimum viable products into the market to yeah. help you quickly iterate to understand mm -hmm. how best to develop your product? The punchline to this story is that had we developed a plastic product like he wanted and mm -hmm. built 10,000 of them, mm -hmm. it would have been the wrong thing because we've realized and he's heard from customers that the wood product that we helped him develop as an MVP mm -hmm. is a smashing success. In fact, yeah. he cannot keep it in stock. Everything he sells to, sends to Amazon gets sold right away. So that's a spectrum all the way from large-scale industrial development of mm -hmm. huge 3D printers all the way down to, to consumer products in a, in a physical product development context with a single entrepreneur and we span the gamut. Love that. No, two uh, two cool examples, two very different examples, to be totally honest in that regard. One's a very much a consumer-facing product. One is about as industrial and B2B as it gets if you're doing the world's largest industrial printer. So we've got some context around Magnet right now. We've got some examples of what you do. I want to learn about you guys a little bit, too. So with your expertise, and I've mentioned this a little bit in the intro with the number of people that you've reached, Michael, and the breadth of experience you had in manufacturing, Brandon, why transitioning economies as your field? Why manufacturing, Brandon, in your case, is what you do? How'd you get into it? Why do you guys stick with it? Michael, maybe we'll sure, start with you I'm on this one. I'm happy to chat. So I'm a, I'm a native Clevelander. Okay. Um, Long-suffering Cleveland sports fan, as you mentioned. <laughs> Um, and I left after graduation. I mean, the the brain drain that happens in cities like St. Louis or Cleveland or Detroit, yep. um, particularly for sort of, I'll be, I'll be 50 in a month, um, sort of for our generation, like I was interested in startups and entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and innovation. And, and I didn't see it when I was sort of leaving to go away to school mm -hmm. um, here and felt like, um, and I think many people kind of leave and want to go try other parts of the world and other experiences. Sure. And so I've lived in a number of um, countries and done work overseas. Mm -hmm. I worked in the tech industry for AOL um, back in Internet 1.0. Interestingly, a lot of our students at Case, the younger ones, have never heard of AOL. Right. Explain that. I'm like, your parents may have used a phone line I, mean, I think to... most of our listeners know what AOL yeah, is. I'm hoping so. At least so. a few. <laughs> um, so that was fun. So I, I was involved in, in joint venture work. Um, yeah. Working for AOL, was there when we merged with Time Warner, mm -hmm. um, got involved in venture capital um, in around 2005, 2006 with a partner based in Israel, and we were um, involved. I'd actually moved back to Cleveland at that point, and actually that got me into my first experience into the sort of entrepreneurial support ecosystem mm -hmm. here, which, I, which we'll get into, and, and Magnet is, is one of the players in that right. ecosystem. But what happened in Cleveland was because of the significant brain drain, because of the lack of funding for venture capital, there wasn't mm -hmm. really angel investing. Um, NGOs or nonprofit organizations like Magnet um, didn't exist. I mean, oftentimes nonprofits form because there's some gap in the market. There were plenty of gaps in the market, but there wasn't a lot of funding, whether from government or, or donors, mm -hmm. to support um, the work of nonprofits and, and programs like what Magnet does. Um, so when I moved back here, I actually sort of moved back right during a time when there was a lot of government support. So, yeah. um, and that came in the case of, of the Cleveland area through our state government. So the state of Ohio launched something called the Third Frontier Program mm -hmm. in 2003. And that program was very focused on technology commercialization. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, Case Western Reserve University, Ohio State, mm -hmm. other leading universities, in Ohio or around the country often get 
federal research to advance right. technologies, and we have awesome engineering and medical research that happens on mm -hmm. our campus. Mm -hmm. But the state, I think, was very um, thoughtful and wise to put money against how do you sort of commercialize some of these interesting technologies that are coming out of the university into the yeah. marketplace. Um, the state also, for venture capital funds, and this is mm -hmm. one of the reasons I moved back here, set up a, a, something called the Ohio Capital Fund, which is a fund of funds that invests in mm -hmm local venture capital that, that will deploy funds locally. Mm -hmm. um, so I found myself as kind of a boomerang back to Cleveland beginning to tap into the resources of the ecosystem um, that Cleveland and the state of Ohio were sort of putting in place to attract people back, to keep folks here and to grow mm -hmm. local startups. So that then, and I'm happy to get into it now or we can sort of do it later in the conversation, that led to doing some work overseas in Vietnam, where I was sort of sharing the story of what we were doing in Ohio um, to a Vietnamese audience that was like more interested. They thought they were yeah. interested in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, I think this Cleveland example, which is really, and I, th and, and I think for listeners that, um, hey, manufacturers everywhere, you're in mm -hmm. San Francisco, mm -hmm. um, although you've got roots, roots in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, communities outside of the Valley, I mean, the Valley at this point, although it was built on, um, a lot of government funding over the years and a lot of research and strong mm -hmm. universities. Like it's a very well-formed private-led right. ecosystem. Places like Cleveland, um, and again, I think Magnet's a good example yeah. because Magnet relies upon funding from government entities, yeah. federal, regional, and local mm -hmm. donors. So we have a, actually a very strong foundation community here led by the mm -hmm. Cleveland Foundation, which is the mm -hmm. second largest community foundation in the country awesome. that has gotten involved in economic development because they see how critical it is to create jobs here. And yeah. then the private sector. So, yeah. you know, Magnet has you all mix. three legs mm -hmm. of the stool. And so anyway, that get in coming back to Cleveland, raising a venture capital fund, starting to teach like, I, start to, I started to see, and it's not easy, and we can get into like mm -hmm. the challenges of this that I've seen both here and in other places because it mm -hmm. isn't, you don't just wave a magic wand and sort of create an entrepreneurial ecosystem that is right. you know, fully functioning and it takes decades to do this. Mm -hmm. But I saw Cleveland put in place um, some pretty impressive, kind of from, from nowhere, to over the last 15, 20 years here, really starting to get some momentum behind the support of, of and growth of entrepreneurship. And, and yeah. you know, apropos to manufacturing, it's, you know, trying to take advantage of sectors where we have strength, not necessarily just yeah. trying to create the next, you know, we're not, everybody would love the next Google, but right. it's probably not going to be here. In well, it's not, you're not necessarily trying to replicate Silicon Valley. Um, you know, that's its own thing. They're quite frankly, I don't, I don't see there being another Silicon Valley anytime soon, but I think there's the best version Cleveland can be, the best version, you know, Chicago can be, St. Louis can be, whatever, whatever that might be. I'm interested to learn a, a bit more of that ecosystem as well. Um, but Brandon, I want to get, get your, your side of uh, your story. Sure. Well. How did I, how did I get here doing yeah. this? Um, well, started my career in consulting, actually, um, implementing big software systems, mm -hmm. left pieces of my soul all over those, sure. and decided to go back to um, school and get my MBA while mm -hmm. I was there. I met a fellow classmate that was interested in developing um, a business, and, and he and I started tooling around with ideas and realized there was this really cool little opportunity in the body powder space. Um, if you go look at dry goods, drygoods.com, yeah. we, we uh, essentially developed the 
first aerosol body power, powder to solve uh, the problem of mess, right? Mm -hmm. This is something that hadn't been innovated in a long time. That process of developing product, uh, fixing a problem, um, creating something new in the world was intoxicating. Mm -hmm. um, after that experience, I sort of wound my way through a couple different corporate experiences. I yeah. spent some time at Target where I learned a lot about retail. I realized mm -hmm. that was one of the pieces that I needed to better mm -hmm. understand in order to develop products is mm -hmm. how they're actually sold sure. um, and through, uh, through a wholesale relationship. Uh, so did that for a while, ran a, a big business for them, did some negotiation lead, uh, leading work for them. Then from there went to a American Greetings, uh, which is mm -hmm. here in Cleveland. How did I get here? Well, my wife is a is a native Clevelander, and yeah. I um, followed her here because it's a, a great place to live. And we had a kid and wanted to be closer to family. Yeah, so you both um, have some roots. We yeah. do, we mm -hmm. do. So uh, so my first experience here uh, in Cleveland was working with American Greetings. They invited me to help answer a big question for a greeting card company, which mm -hmm. is how do we grow? Mm -hmm. um, and over several years, ended up building a digital innovation. Um, engine for them, which is essentially looking for new business models within their digital um, skill set, which was really fun. And that got me in, interested in this innovation system approach, right? Yeah. I was uh, lucky after that, I put that system in place and, and staffed it and got it up and running. Magnet reached out and said, hey, we have a similar problem. We have this mm -hmm. incubator. Uh, mm -hmm. It's more of a commercial real estate transaction at this point, and we'd like to turn it into something that not just doesn't just dress, address what incubators should be, but what incubation could look like in mm -hmm. the community. And so mm -hmm. the rest is the rest is history. Here I am um, developing what I call the iterator, uh, which is the, the current version of our effort to help physical product innovators. Well, you guys both bring two very different sets of experience to the table, but it sounds like you've been in this system for a while, or I should say this ecosystem for a while. I'd love to dive into the ecosystem a little bit more. Maybe I'll approach it with the question is, for spots like Cleveland, what does that ecosystem look like? And is it essential to have kind of that mix of government funding, institutions like Magnet there? Is that a critical piece for transitioning economies, whether that's here in the US or abroad, to really thrive and grow? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's absolutely critical. Um, you know, particularly in the sort of nascent years where um, mm -hmm. private funding isn't there. And I think you're now starting to see um, corporations, I mean, this whole idea of acceleration. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are corporates, whether from Nike to Microsoft to Barclays that are opening up accelerators. These are sort of private-led acceleration efforts that um, are focused on finding interesting innovation and, and technology for their own businesses. Um, there is a side of, of corporate involvement that also is more on the um, corporate social responsibility side. So you do have leading tech companies that, or, or other companies that are sort of out there wanting to sort of support the communities where they are. I mean, actually one interesting transition on the corporate pillar of support, and we've seen this in Cleveland, and we, we've, we used to have something like 18 or 19 Fortune 500 companies. Now we're, I don't know, five or six. Mm -hmm. A lot of, um, and we see this here, uh, in town, and I assume it's in other places like you know Eaton Corporation. I know your mm -hmm. uh, Rockwell has a big, um, big operation here. Mm -hmm. A lot of the big Fortune 500 companies are they consider themselves global companies. They're not local companies. So right. Eaton may be headquartered here, but they're a mm -hmm. global company. Mm -hmm. And I think that has changed a little bit of the shift. I know at Magnet and Brandon can get into it. They have a lot of corporate, whether it's on the board or sort of corporate partners. But I feel like corporates in many ways have broadened. They're not thinking so much about their hometown as right. much as they are the broader market that they serve. Um, so, you know, I think it has forced communities to look 
it, to, to, to provide the kind of support that's necessary to grow startups. Mm -hmm. I mean, government, and, and you know, government support of anything in the private sector mm -hmm. can be very, very challenging. There's sure. a um, book that a professor from uh, Harvard Business School named Josh Lerner wrote called The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. And okay. it, it focuses on basically government support programs of mm -hmm. entrepreneurship that have failed. Because um, mm -hmm. oftentimes you have people within government that don't have experience in the private sector. Mm -hmm. um, they're making poor choices. And you know, and I think in, in the developing world in particular, where corruption and cronyism sort of run rampant, you know, you'll yeah. a decision might be made by government to support a certain program based on a personal relationship or in the worst cases, sort of corruption. Mm -hmm. But I think broadly speaking, and I think Ohio's done a really nice job of this, um, having government and having thoughtful programs put in place. And in, in Ohio, for example, for the most part, our third frontier will only put half of the money in. They're looking for a match. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly- That makes sense. It yeah. makes a lot of sense you, so you get, want skin in the game. Exactly, with any type of investment, you want skin in the game from all sides. And I, I think <laughs> if you look at any a government program where they're providing 100% of the funding, it probably like, is a surefire sure. like reason that it's not gonna be successful. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's happened, particularly around this match, has been that the matching money hasn't necessarily come from private, but it's come from donors. So you have okay. a foundation community here that got, um, that was already interested in economic development, but helped get mobilized because of the way that the structure of the, of the State of Ohio program worked. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that brought, and even foundations that had traditionally not thought about economic development mm -hmm. started to move into that space. We actually launched something here that I talk about in the Beyond Silicon Valley class called the Fund for Our Economic Future. Mm -hmm. So this is a, um, an association, it's, it's an organization that brought together a number of different foundations. Again, many of them that maybe had only funded healthcare or the arts or social services, they started to look at economic development and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the three-legged stool of like private funding and, and corporate support, which we still have some of here, mm -hmm. but, but combined with government and donors has been critical. One of the challenges has been, and Brandon lives this every day because yeah. in the NGO space, is mm -hmm. that um, oftentimes when there is money, there are many hands that go up that mm -hmm. say, hey, let us be the nonprofit organization that implements these programs. Right. And, um, you know, we do have in what I call sort of an alphabet soup of nonprofits in the region. Sure. Many of them are doing great work. We have an organization mm -hmm. called Jumpstart, which grew out of, um, actually originally was based at Case Western Reserve University in our business say, I school. Think I think I've heard of Jumpstart. Maybe it was through your course. I can't yeah, remember. I mean, it's yeah. a great organization. They what the, It's a model that we, um, uh, the, uh, copied in a, in a good way from, um, from Pittsburgh, something called Innovation Works. So they have a fund, so they're actually deploying investment into companies, mm -hmm. and they have a team of folks with experience in venture capital. Mm -hmm. um, they also do a number of other support services and mentoring and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, Jumpstart in, in 2017, a company called Cover My Meds was sold to McKesson for over a billion dollars, so our mm -hmm. first unicorn in the region. Jumpstart was an investor, mm -hmm. and that investment in Cover My Meds actually covered their whole fund times two. So that, I mean, one other message I think that's critical just on the ecosystem piece is like, entrepreneurs and investors need to make money. Like yeah. this just can't be because it's nice and fun and awesome. Cool, feels good. You know, <laughs> we have lots of, we embrace failure, da 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 da, da. Like, yeah. um, you know, somewhere in here, 
angel investors need to make money, venture capitalists need to make money, founders need to make money, and then all the things that are learned, and we're starting to see that, when people make money, they're starting their next business here. So mm -hmm. that that was really critical for Jumpstart. But we also have, you know, we have Magnet, we have Bioenterprise, mm -hmm. which focuses on the healthcare space. Healthcare is a real strength of the region. Mm -hmm. um, and healthcare manufacturing is a yeah. strength of the region as well. Mm -hmm. So we do have quite a few NGOs or not-for-profits that have kind of sprouted up and said, hey, let's, you know, we're, we're going to play a role in the ecosystem. And mm -hmm. it's sometimes difficult to coordinate all these efforts because there's a lot of, of folks doing different things and it's hard to sometimes keep track of who's doing what. Yeah, and, and I guess I've got one more question for this first part of the interview. How do you guys feel where things were five years ago, 10 years ago, and to where things have come now? What's what's your feeling around, let's focus on Cleveland here because I think we're going to get more international in the second half of the interview. How do you feel about how things have developed here? I think we're making progress. I mean, um, I think you do need to measure progress in decades. Um, yeah. I was actually had a group visiting from the Philippines. We'll talk about international later. Yesterday in my class, and I asked mm -hmm. them, they're putting some of these things in place and saying, when do you expect to see success? And they said five years. I was like, good luck. I mean, yeah. you know, five years is, is a blip. Because um, sure. I think you have to um, have real patience here. Um, I mean, any listener that is sort of, in, as an entrepreneur, or as in a venture capitalist or an angel investor, I mean, you know that the exit timeline, mm -hmm. and, and exit is only one metric by which we measure success, yeah. although it can be a very can, important can one. You, so exits, can you maybe give me one or two more metrics, just like some of these decade-long metrics that you look at? Well, another it is interesting. I mean, exits are the big one, because that's right. how investors get their money back. Yeah. A lot of um, support organizations often look on follow-on funding. Okay. So, you know, if a company has been supported through the Iterator program or Jumpstart, mm -hmm. that they've raised additional capital. So I think that, particularly private funding, not just mm -hmm. sort of grant funding, I think that yeah. can be a really good metric and, and uh, indicator. Yeah, and especially with state and federal funding, they're mm -hmm. very interested in jobs yeah. and revenue. Right. Jobs, jobs create a big deal. So, okay. uh, so Magnet is directly... Um, responsible for uh, over a thousand jobs a year in the in Northeast Ohio as a, as a result of our activities and work with with our clients and our partners. Mm -hmm. um, that's a metric we're really proud of. We're looking to triple that over the next um, five years or so. That's the kind of metric that that, uh, that we're really interested in. But mm -hmm. but to your point, metrics generally. Um, a really important aspect of, yeah. of how you measure innovation and where it's going and how you continue mm -hmm. to get these rich interactions from private and government and nonprofit engagements is, is actually seeing outcomes. And we yeah. talk about that a lot. Well, I thought those were great metrics. I feel like this is a good spot to, uh, to pause the interview for a quick break. And then we'll be, uh, for those of you listening, we'll be right back with round two here in just a second. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the world's largest library of audiobooks and other spoken word entertainment, and as someone that's constantly traveling, it's how I keep up on my reading and stay sharp, even when I'm on the go. Best of all, since you're a listener of this podcast, we're giving you a free audiobook if you sign up for Audible at audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. Just to provide a bit more context to this, if you'll remember, Michael made mention earlier about his book, Beyond Silicon Valley, which features 20 success stories of his students around the world in their quest to build companies regardless of where they're located. 
Now, an electronic copy of this book is available for free at beyondsiliconvalleybook.com. But if you're like me and you're someone that likes to listen to your books when you're in the car or on an airplane, you can also find this book on Audible. I did a double check, and yes, there is an audiobook version that you can get on Audible as well. So if you're antsy to check this out, but you don't necessarily want to download it, this is another great spot that you can get all of Michael's lessons distilled into your ears. Again, to claim your free audiobook today, head to audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. And now, back to our conversation with Brandon Cornuke and Michael Goldberg. Well, back for round two. And I like to say we start round two with a drinking story to an extent. Not really a drinking story, but one area that I'm interested to, to dive into with you, Michael, is the course that you've done beyond Silicon Valley, growing entrepreneurship in transitioning economies. And where I kind of want to start there is, one, just a little background on the course, but you've touched students in 190 different countries, correct? And I mean, that's, that's, we're pretty much just like six short of, I think, every country in the world. (laughs) At one point, I was actually trying to track which ones I was missing. I think we're like, it's like two, depending on, there's always like countries going in and out. I think I'm about 20 short. Okay. Okay. Nevertheless, you've seen what entrepreneurship and, you know, probably manufacturing as well, what that looks like in other parts of the world. So um, can you give some quick background of the course? But what I'd really love to understand is what what has we've talked, we had a success story here in Cleveland earlier, but what's a success story look like for a company that comes out of that, that, you know, in a completely different ecosystem than one we have in the United States? Right, Chris, I thought you were going to ask, told me that when you were taking the course that you played some drinking game associated <laughs> with the course. Every time I said I, transitioning economies, you had to I take could a go shot back and Cleveland take it whiskey. again yeah, or right. do that. Right. But no more, more, we're more just looking for uh, a story. I don't um, think there needs to be any By the way, though, as, as an aside, because it has nothing to do with the manufacturing <laughs> happy hour, um, I was a play-by-play announcer for my college football team. And a lot of people would never go into the games and played, I found out later, played drinking games based on the same things I would say over oh, yeah, and over again. Oh, yeah, really? So, what was one of your signature lines? I think the backs are in the T. Oh, now, wow. For some reason, that was a drinking game. Like, that was a shot of something. Or All a, right, okay. A, uh, so, uh, I wasn't sure if you print, still had those yeah. metrics print, also. Princeton like. football <laughs> didn't have a lot of excitement back in the day. Sure. But, um, uh, you were it. it I was it. Like. I was it, apparently. Um, yeah, the course was, has been an awesome adventure, and of course, mm-hmm. it was nice to meet people along the way. And um, it's interesting because we had 175,000 people register for the class and kind of growing. Mm-hmm. So on one level, um, if we use football analogies, I guess you know we could fill the big house at Michigan almost twice. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know every single person in there, but I've met a number of folks, and I've been invited to now travel. Um, to communities around the world where I didn't think that telling the Cleveland story about what we've done to support entrepreneurship, because that is the basis for the course, would necessarily resonate. And that has included Indonesia, um, Burma, Laos, um, the Philippines and Asia, to Zimbabwe, Namibia, um, Zambia, uh, and Europe. I've been to Kosovo, Macedonia, Greece, Cleveland's France. like the poster child for like well, anything's possible. It, it seems been like, and there's been <laughs> so it, it's. I think what people found with the Cleveland case study, and perhaps even in this conversation today, like it's a pretty relatable. Like, yeah, there's something about San Francisco, and again, you know it well because you are based there. Mm-hmm. That just feels very unattainable, and mm-hmm. when 
you know, a couple of you know, schleppers from Cleveland start talking yeah. about what we're doing and the struggles. And I think there is a Midwestern sensibility of like, we don't sort of take ourselves too seriously. Um, we've tried a number of things. Mm -hmm. It's been hard. Mm -hmm. I think people can relate to that. So, yeah. you know, um, the types of entrepreneurs that are in communities, let's say a Kosovo, right? So I, I mm -hmm. you asked for examples, I was, um, in a, in a community in Kosovo called Jakovo, which mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't know much about Kosovo mm -hmm. besides what I had heard about on the news during the conflict. And mm -hmm. um, there was a, uh, the guy who ran the innovation center in Kosovo was at a conference in, um, was he in Germany? He was in a conference in another country where someone from Dusseldorf, it wasn't even in, yeah. it's like more bizarre, it was like, let's say he was in <laughs> Turkey, someone from Dusseldorf got up and showed an image of Cleveland. This yeah. was someone who took my class. Wow. So he was interested in learning more. I ended up going to Kosovo there. You know, the, the market, they have some physical product entrepreneurs, they've got kind of business outsource, Mm -hmm. um, kind of stuff, you know, their entrepreneurship doesn't necessarily need to be the next parking app. Sure. Um, particularly in a place like preferably not the next Jacoba, parking app. Kosovo yeah. that doesn't have a lot of parking issues, right? Right. Um, but San they, Francisco technology seems to address San Francisco problems a little <laughs> too often. So that's I, I like that down to earth approach you guys have. So when I'm you know when I've been traveling around and um, I've seen how. Um, you know, b being cognizant of what your pipeline of opportunities is or isn't, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and trying to meet people where they are. And again, I think that's one of the things that, that Magnet and Brandon do so well here, because when you meet our community where they are, mm -hmm. a lot of it is around manufacturing strength. Um, other communities that may be more agrarian-based, I mean, I've seen some really mm -hmm. interesting entrepreneurship around helping farmers and yeah. helping getting products to market. and. So I've been enthusiastic about what I've seen in communities that are trying to um, build off some of their strengths. That being said, you still see, you, you never know where the next awesome idea might come from. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to be where you've um, sort of doubled down on your kind of industry strength. But mm -hmm. I think when I look at what some of the work that Brandon's doing with folks that are manufacturing physical products here and manufacturing, like, damn straight we should be betting on our manufacturing sector yeah. and because we've got a lot to build on. I think other communities around the world wish they had some of the opportunities that we had here to build mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Well, if I remember right, you have a TED Talk out as well where you talk about some examples that goes into some great stories around, like you said, like some agrarian examples as well. If you're listening and do want to hear more from Michael, highly recommend checking out that TED Talk from maybe like five plus years mm -hmm. ago. That was so. a TEDx Fulbright. Um, but that, the book, has countless of other examples in there of some of those success stories. While we're on this topic of education right now, I'm curious, and this is interesting because you guys are you know, are both professors and teach courses um, around business and around entrepreneurship. And we've also talked about apprenticeships and we also have these massive online courses. One thing right now you hear, especially with entrepreneurship, it's like, well, education is not important anymore, which is a blunt, you know, a lot of when people say that about business or it's like, well, if you want to start something, just start it to an extent. But what role would you say education plays it, in this day and age in de developing both entrepreneurship and manufacturing? Two kind of separate questions, but tied together. They are. Um, 
I'll, I'll tackle the entrepreneurship angle okay. and, then, and then we'll, we'll lean into the manufacturing okay. uh, to some degree. So from an entrepreneurship perspective, you're absolutely right. If, if you can just, if you've got an idea and you go start it, great, good for you. Right. You didn't need, you know, that's kind of the classic you entrepreneurial don't need the story. Entrepreneurship of, I dropped out of Harvard <laughs> and now yeah. I'm a billionaire. Yeah. Um, but what we see every day in our class is, um, is entrepreneurs who are asked, or innovators, I'll call them, whether mm -hmm. they become innovators inside of existing companies mm -hmm. or, or on their own, um, full of really great ideas and a lot of energy, but mm -hmm. really struggle to, to unify all that into a, an effort that is really um, clear and efficient and gets them down the path to what we call iteration, right? To learn mm -hmm. and address their most important guesses, their assumptions, right? Those are all frameworks that, that I think are really useful. But yeah. of course, um, you can go to the library and, and dig up a lot of, of, of books on that and teach yourself as well. Mm -hmm. What we try to do in our class is bring an experiential context to that. So mm -hmm. Michael mentioned earlier about the power of partnerships and networks mm -hmm. from an ecosystem perspective. Well, mm -hmm. the same is true within a, an, an organization like a university where you have access to a bright, motivated classmates and yeah. professors and people who are interested in helping you. I can tell you that mm -hmm. my first, uh, first startup was while I was in business school and it was the best way to mm -hmm. get an MBA because every time I yeah. took a class, I got to apply the ideas that we were, lear that we were struggling with in our startup Makes a ton in of sense. class, right? So I would say education is a fabulous venue to mm -hmm. explore and sharpen your entrepreneurial mm -hmm. uh, prowess. It's mm -hmm. not the only path, but we, right. we certainly believe in it. Would you say there are alternative paths now, especially when you can jump on and take a course through Case Western just online and for free also? How does, how does that play into this? Yeah, I think the communities, and I don't know to what um, degree you felt it, whether it was my class or other online courses that you've taken. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it is, you know, it's an increasingly flat world. And mm -hmm. I think tools like online courses, tools like LinkedIn, um, mm -hmm. I mean, even I, there were some anecdotes that happened in my course where I, I know an entrepreneur in um, you know, the small country of Belize found mm -hmm. business partners through the class because like-minded no um, like folks were sort of coming together, people that were huh. hungry to learn, people who may be in parts of the world where access to higher ed is, is expensive, it's challenging. So it is exciting to actually um, put tools like some of the stuff that we're working on mm -hmm. and content in the hands of people around the world that don't have access to it. I'm actually doing a collaboration right now um, with a group of, of Case Western Reserve undergraduate students and a cohort of students in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. And you know, talk about a challenging environment. I mean, it's hard enough being a US-based entrepreneur mm -hmm. in San Francisco, St. Louis, Cleveland, mm -hmm. with all the things you have sport. I mean, hey, the most likely result of these things is still failure. Right, 90%, um, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that, I think. And it's hard, and we're mm -hmm. here to support. Like, mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur in Venezuela that's going through an economic crisis that has hyperinflation, where, I mean, there's mm -hmm. all these issues. So, on a person-to-person -person level, I've found a number of these platforms, um, you know, like a Coursera, just really, um, uh, it's, it's sort of heartwarming how you can connect. Sure. It, you know, the tools, I mean, you asked about even kind of how necessary is it to kind of, you know, is it the DNA of a person that mm -hmm. makes them an entrepreneur? Is it the, the tools? I mean, hey, a lot of it probably is the wiring that we have and the grit that, mm -hmm. that makes you do these things. But I do believe that, 
experiences like you know probably many of your listeners or the three mm -hmm. of us have and if you sort of structure it in a way that doesn't bore somebody to death and I, and I do think being cognizant of, of new content creation things like mm -hmm. podcasts I mean you know we assign podcasts as, 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 as assignments for our courses we're assigning TED talks we're mm -hmm. assigning all sorts of new ways to communicate I mean the days you know sorry for anybody who's a textbook manufacturer out there <laughs> I mean the days of sort yeah. of like you know read getting your entrepreneurship textbook on a, mm -hmm. you know people still do that kind of work but there's so many new modalities out there and there's so yeah. much connectivity that I think it's exciting and yeah. people are hungry for it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I will, I'll circle back to the question about how to connect manufacturing and education a sure. bit yeah. um, by noting that I think it's everybody's obligation to challenge higher ed in how it thinks about readying our workforce mm -hmm. for what is a future in technology-driven manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, what Magnet's mm -hmm. doing with our workforce efforts is a good example yeah. of that, where this European-style apprenticeship model, which is actually very old, yeah. um, has created this sort of wonderful pathway to enable mm -hmm. folks who, um, who traditionally would have just been told, you gotta go to college to succeed, right. and find a path that is unique to their skills and interests, whether it's immediately jumping into a yep. technology-driven mm -hmm. environment where STEM-style skills are really important and will be mm -hmm. useful throughout their career, or to supplement an effort towards a college degree. Mm -hmm. um, we are really excited about bringing sort of the workforce challenges to education and finding a new path through it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I do find that interesting. I feel like it was like maybe 10 years ago on a snowboarding trip, one of my friends, and this was like right when I was graduating from college, loosely made the comment, it's like, I really think we should bring back apprenticeships and things like that. And it's interesting because that really seems to be the way things are going right now because a lot of the, you know, like you said, a lot of the jobs that need to be filled really require more of that training. Do you see that being a continuing evolution, continuing to be the case where we're going to see more European style apprenticeship training out there. Yeah, I, yes, and we can talk more about the future of manufacturing technology yeah. and its role there. But but there is no doubt that the kinds of technology that mm -hmm. we are bringing to manufacturing environments require um, the kind of science, technology, engineering driven mm -hmm. um, experiences that absolutely require hands on um, experience with. And yeah. I I would say, and, and to a large degree, I think we all agree that that there's all sorts of paths to a career. We just talked about mm -hmm. entrepreneurship being one, right? If it's socially acceptable to drop out of college and start your own tech company, right? Mm -hmm. It should be equally socially acceptable to say, you know what, college isn't for me, but a path to manufacturing that has a great right. foundation and, mm -hmm. and is science-driven with an upward path is mm -hmm. a really good place to go to. We should support a diverse experience when it comes to how you build your career, especially given that technology is totally changing the way uh, manufacturing is, yeah. is done. Well, I, I love that you mentioned future of manufacturing. It's like you're reading my mind right now of what some of the some of the topics are. But I'd love to get your thoughts as we start wrapping up. What do you see the future of manufacturing is? Maybe an example here at Magnet that's really taking manufacturing to what it's going to look like in the future. Yep. I so technology is at the center of all manufacturing endeavors. Mm -hmm. It really mm -hmm. um, and and. It, because you're in, in 
in San Francisco, you understand technology is a very big word. This kind right. of capital T, but mm -hmm. I'll, I'll bring it to some more concrete examples for you. Things like um, what we call I IIoT, that's uh, Industrial Internet of Things, yep. or um, Industry 4.0, Industry 5.0, it's sometimes. Yeah, our, our listeners will be factory. connected yeah. enterprise. You, you guys, you guys got it all, really, right? Um, yeah. you, you know what I'm talking about. Those, those sorts of data-driven, algorithm-supported um, efforts to understand and, mm -hmm. and a manufacturing environment, get more data out of it and turn that into value um, is an incredible opportunity. It, it, here in Northeast Ohio, 80% um, of our manufacturing base is not IIoT connected or enabled at any level. Mm -hmm. Imagine what we're going to do when we bring all yeah. of those manufacturers to a place where they have even the most basic understanding of uptime, downtime, or mm -hmm. um, or pre even predictive analytics around what's going to happen with their machines. So IIoT right. is, is a huge piece of that puzzle. We see applications, of course, in additive and 3D manufacturing or 3D printing. So we mm -hmm. find that um, the speed at which you're able to um, build new products or manufacture things uh, in a new way is incredible. New materials, mm -hmm. everything from metals to ceramics and everything yeah. in between. We, we are really lucky that one of our um, one of the, the nodes of or centers of 3D uh, and additive manufacturing develop is here in Youngstown, Ohio, mm -hmm. um, which, and which we're super excited about. Um, we also see um, AR and VR, so augmented yep. reality and virtual reality playing a, a greater part. The, the actually, it's, you, you keep going. Keep yeah, going. Was, you, you mentioned earlier that or we talked about Battle Toss a little bit. Yeah. It's so funny. This is an mm -hmm. old style game, right? Wood, you'd, you'd imagine it's not tech enabled. Well, sure. it, we have actually designed that using augmented reality to help us better understand the design and quickly turn it into a product that can be adjusted. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been really exciting. So. All those pieces and more are coming together in a way that um, that I think is is pretty exciting for the future of manufacturing. Yeah, and I, I was I was even when we were taking the tour earlier, AR VR, you had that goggleless AR setup as well too, which was pretty that, that's rad. exactly right. I mean, but, if you want to take a workforce and quickly get them up to speed, imagine mm -hmm. a desk where you are shining lights with instructions out onto the desk or various items, telling mm -hmm. you when to take something. Um, sensors that that uh, that can detect movement will tell you yes, you're in the right place, grab this, it will change and, and move those instructions forward mm -hmm. to the point where you can take someone and essentially put them into the line to make fairly complicated products, mm -hmm. all driven by um, a, a goggleless yeah. augmented reality experience. Mm -hmm. And in, add in robots, which I haven't even mentioned, For which sure. are super important. You have a co-working robot that will not damage you if it runs into you. It'll actually sense and stop mm -hmm. uh, its momentum. Yep. Um, and you've got a pretty powerful workforce on your hands. Yeah, it's it's been cool seeing, and it's funny because a lot of it does, I feel, relate back to workforce development. When you're looking for a great application of AR in the field today, it's addressing workforce challenges, making training easier, taking that knowledge from the last generation to the next generation. That's what it's. That's where we're seeing a lot of acceleration. Certainly, some of the things I'm seeing in the field. It's cool that you're. That's seeing exactly them there right. Too. And I will. I will say that the future of manufacturing is not automation in the sense that nobody's in that factory. What we right. find is that you actually are able to free up a person's time to mm -hmm. put them to better uses. Yes. This old trope yeah. around, you know robots are going to take our jobs is just not true. What's actually yeah. happening is that robots are creating an environment where you can do higher end work as a human being that robots can't do and there are tons of those opportunities. So mm -hmm. what we find is that when we automate a job, we create one or two 
because exactly. we've freed something up. Mm -hmm. So that is also the future of manufacturing. It's repurposing it's talent it's, for it's like talent, higher level work. It's human and talent centered. That is the future of manufacturing. Technology is just there to help us get even better at what we do. Love that. Well, we've covered a lot of ground from workforce, from Cleveland to Vietnam in this conversation. Is there anything you wish I would have asked you guys that I haven't yet? You didn't ask us where you should go get your, uh, I guess you already mentioned um, the uh, Great Lakes Brewing. Great you know, Lakes Brewing. Other, other restaurant tips while you're in Cleveland. Ooh, or, uh, yeah. Well, you know, we're glad that you're here and you know, hope that you come back again soon. It's always good being here. I'll yeah. give you a go Browns before That's we right. wrap up go as Brownies. well. I'm rooting roof, for roof. you. Yeah. Um, actually, I think I know where I'm going to go right after this. It's down to the whiskey spot that's also in yeah. this building, Cleveland which is called, whiskey, again, yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland Whiskey. Cleveland Whiskey yeah. is one of our tenants <laughs> and, and one of our innovators here. We're really excited about that. I'll probably pick up a bottle there, grab some Mexican food from Mamochos later on. Nice. And, uh, good we'll good call, move. We'll call it a trip. Well, again, gentlemen, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank thanks for, for having us. Thank you for having us. Great. Michael, Brandon, thanks so much. And for those of you listening, catch you again next time. Hey, thanks so much for listening, and a big thanks to Brandon and Michael for making the time to jump on the show. It was really cool getting to talk to them after kind of virtually knowing Michael through his course from like seven years ago. It was also great getting to see the Magnet facility in Cleveland, Ohio. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of these cities like Cleveland have facilities similar to Magnet that are really trying to train and also get companies off the ground, give them the resources that they need. So I'd love to hear from you guys, maybe in like your reviews on iTunes or in your comments on the show notes page, maybe some things you've encountered that are similar to that in other cities. I'd love to keep making this conversation bigger than just Cleveland, Ohio. Now, before we get off the Cleveland topic, though, we are recording this on November 3rd, the evening of November 3rd. And we talked about the Browns earlier, and we are officially halfway through the NFL season. And it hurts me to say this, but unfortunately, the Browns, despite all the high hopes, are two and six right now. It's not great. I guess it's not the end of the world. I guess the good news is they can only get better from here, but Michael and really everyone in Cleveland, Ohio, I'm sorry, but only brighter times are ahead right now. So go Browns. Good luck as the season continues down the stretch. For all the resources that we mentioned in today's episode, make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com to access the show notes. That includes links to any of the books, TED Talks, anything that got mentioned in this episode for you to take a deeper dive after you get done listening. Now, my biggest call to action, and you've heard it before already, is to make sure to head to Apple Podcasts on iTunes and provide your ratings and reviews on the show. You can do this really easily using the link manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. Again, getting those reviews in there helps boost the show, get some exposure to it, and gets this in the ears of other manufacturing all-stars that are looking to take their careers and business to the next level in manufacturing. Again, reviews can be as short as one sentence. Please leave that along with a five-star rating. If you feel so compelled, your feedback is very valuable in making this show better and better every week. Again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. Thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Audible, the best spot to get your audiobooks. If you'd like to claim your free audiobook today, you can do that at audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod.
And that's it for this week, folks. We are going to be heading to Milwaukee, Wisconsin soon for a couple of episodes. We're going to dive into this uh, topic of education and preparing the next generation for the workforce in a little more detail in one of our follow-ups, as well as talking about some new business models in manufacturing. We've got some exciting episodes on the horizon, so make sure you stay innovative, stay thirsty, and stay tuned to Manufacturing Happy Hour. We'll catch you again next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.